I'm so excited this evening just to introduce our speaker to you. She is the only speaker that I've had return to Northern California, Nevada three times. She has an incredible testimony, which is actually the title of her book, Call It Incredible. She goes from a drug addict to getting radically saved to being a preacher's wife, of course. There's a lot in between those years, but I'll let her tell her story. No matter where you are in life this evening, she will inspire you to become a fierce warrior that God intended you to be. Please join me in welcoming to Southern Nevada, Suzanne Cox. Thank you. Thank you. Love you. We have had fun. Oh my word, I love this lady. And she loves you, ladies. She said, I cannot wait for you to get to this meeting in Southern Nevada. Now she's tried to really, you know, I'm not the one with the accent, y'all are. And so, you know, you're just gonna have to, you're gonna have to bear with me. But um, yeah, and so we have just fallen in love. I brought my husband with me, and so she had her husband with her. So we have, um, you know, had a chance to kind of get to know each other and uh, for our husbands to get to know each other. And, you know, you get two pastors together and they're, you know, they're the ones that talk all the time. And so we were just like, blah, 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 sitting over there. Yeah, so um, it's just been amazing. And look at my little fierce warrior jacket. How fun is that? And I was like, I saw this and thought, I am so in the flow of the TP over here and, you know, all the feathers from heaven and, you know, yeah, okay. So, <laughs> so, but the worship was amazing. Thank you, worship team. You guys, I don't know where y'all are sitting now, but um, yeah, it's one thing to go into the presence of God by yourself, but to have somebody that can take the whole girlfriend bus and bring you into the presence of the Lord with your girlfriends and just be able to worship together. There's just nothing like that. It's just awesome. And I'm, I'm so glad to be a part of this. And, um, you know, I feel like I'm so far away. Maybe tomorrow I'm going to move down there. No. Uh, yeah, I'll probably be down there anyway. But um, <laughs> so let me do a brief commercial break, which I forgot to um, get a picture of my girls. I worked in, uh, lived in India as a missionary. Uh, and, and I have a girl's home where we rescue the girls out of the brothels of India. And I have 15 girls. I need to spent my mat out. Is there a hanky, Kleenex, something, something? Sorry. You are so awesome. Thanks. She's like, here's Ben. No, you probably got kids, right? So she's like, here, just put it in my hand. No. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a Nana. I totally understand that. So, um, yeah, and so I forgot where I was going with that story. Oh, yes, my girls in India, everything you purchase on the table back there, I have a media table, and uh, everything goes back into my girls' home in India. So uh, I really encourage you, shop till you drop, because Mother's Day is coming, and so you're going to want to get um, some things. And so here is Spirit-Led Living. You know, we are living in the last days, and we better know how to walk in the Spirit and hear the voice of God in these last days, right? So this is, you are in this world, but you are not of this world. And He is leading, are you following? He is talking, are you listening, or are you doing all the talking, <laughs> all the time? <laughs> yeah, sometimes we go in and we, you know, 
spout it all out and then say, okay, see you, God, just deal with it. And so, um, yeah, but he wants to tell us the answer to the problem. He doesn't want us to just cry about it. So, um, and then keys to living in the spirit while walking on the earth. And then here's my testimony I'm going to share tonight is on DVD and CD out there. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then here is healing is God's will for you. It is God's will for you to be up and about the father's business. He wants you well so that you can, you know, fulfill your destiny that he has created for you. And so this is healing God's will for you, fighting the good fight of faith, speak the word, and then um, healing scripture CD, which is 80 minutes of healing scriptures that my husband went into the studio and did a healing CD with music in the background, just light music. Because, yes, because sometimes when you are your body is racked with pain, it's very difficult to read the word. So you can put this in your CD player or in your computer and you can just listen to the word. Uh, you know, Proverbs 4.22 says that God's word is help and healing or medicine to our flesh, not just our spirit, but to our flesh. And so, um, and then here is Call It Incredible. And uh, this is the book that's been written on my husband's life. He pastored Kingwood Church for 35 years. And you're going to hear our story um, tonight, but um, this is a lot of his story. And uh, he raised two beautiful daughters. His wife uh, was very ill for a long time. And then, um, you know, as she passed away and I got to come in on the tail end of the book. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> yeah. So, but the people that did Fireproof and Mom's Night Out and some of those things um, have given us a contract to do a full length movie on the story of our life. So, yeah. So we signed the books and then, uh, you know, because when we, our books get into books a million, we can't sign a million copies. <laughs> so you're going to want to get your autographed copy, buy a little bracelet or something, something, you know, that's out there with the other vendors. And then you can give it as a Mother's Day gift and she's going to say, thank you. And this is for you because you are so awesome. So, okay. <laughs> Sister Pastor Debbie, woman ministry director of the universe. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I just love y'all. I mean, there's just such a freedom here. You know, there's just such a liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And it just seems like you ladies just came ready to receive. And I know y'all had workshops today while I was laying before the Lord. And um, yeah, and so I am just excited to be here. So I mean, it gets really thirsty up here. So hang on one second. <laughs> There's that. We'll go ahead and open that. Okay. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for your presence that is here already and the things that you did in the workshops and how you have challenged these women and you have brought us here together and called us to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so, Lord, we are careful to give you all of the glory for everything that is said and done here this weekend. God, I pray that we will be challenged, that we will be encouraged, that my message tonight will bring hope because this is your story and it's my story because of you. And Lord, I am just so grateful to be here tonight. And I thank you for everything that is done here tonight in Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Well, fierce warriors, tonight we are going to talk about choices. <laughs> because the choices that you made yesterday have affected where you are today, right? 
Yeah, and if you're like me, then maybe you have made some wrong choices in life, but cheer up because God's word is his guide to making right choices every day of your life. You can choose to make the right choice, to follow God's plan and his purpose in everything that you do. And because we know that he has a plan, right? I mean, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, but plans to give you hope and a future. And he says, if you'll seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. See, a half-hearted seeker will never fulfill the plans and purposes of God. And so we've got to seek him with our whole heart because he really does have a plan for your life. And he wants you to know what on earth you're here for, so to speak. And so, um, so I am going to share some life lessons with you that I managed to live to tell about. And, um, and so life lesson number one is choose to live in today. Choose to live in today. Philippians 3.13 says, this one thing I do. How many? One. One thing. Forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Listen, it is a press if you're going to go on with God. It's a press because opposition is going to come your way. The devil's not going to roll out the red carpet for you. He's going he's to try to uh, hinder you from fulfilling the plan. And so he says, Paul says, just forget about your past and press on. Your past is worthy of one thing, and that's forget about it. <laughs> I was just in New Jersey, and they say, forget about it. You know, and so forget about your past and keep moving on with God. Because, you, you know, I could be swallowed up with the guilt and shame and regrets of my past. But I choose to live in today. David the psalmist said, this is the day that the Lord has made. I choose to rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. We can rejoice. And we don't have to be depressed like the world is depressed. We have God living on the inside of us. And so we can we can just, you know, go on with God with the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. We just sang the song, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if the devil can steal your joy, then he's got you right where he wants you. And so, you know, the, the day that you get born again, you become a woman without a past. And that is good gospel news. <laughs> and see, my parents divorced when uh, I was nine years old. I'm going to move around, okay? My parents divorced when I was nine years old, and uh, we had lived in a very small town in Alabama called Sylacauga. And what? And so, um, and so we, um, when my daddy had been an alcoholic our whole life, and so by the time, um, you know, things got very abusive, and uh, we had left my we had left, and she divorced my dad, and we moved to Birmingham uh, into the big city, to the inner city where my Nana lived. And see, uh, my mom did the best that she could do. She literally, you know, had to go back to work, and we became latchkey kids. We were 9, 10, and 14 years old. And so, um, you know, I was the baby of the family, and I was raised in a neighborhood with tons of kids. I mean, kids everywhere. And, and I, I, you know, we went to Nana's house for a little while when I was like 9, 10, 11 years old. But, um, you know, my mom did the best she could do. She uh, had to go to work, but she took us to Nana's church. Every Sunday morning, we went to church. But at Nana's church, I never heard of the born-again experience. I never heard that God had a plan for my life. I never heard that. And so, um, you know, even though we went to church, 
And so by the time I was 16 years old, I was a full-blown alcoholic. By the time I was 23 years old, I was a cocaine addict. Almost all my teeth have had to be replaced. You know, Satan takes you so much further than you ever wanted to go, keeps you longer than you wanted to stay. See, I never set out in my life to become a drug addict or an alcoholic, but I didn't have anybody speaking life into me. I didn't have anybody that ever told me that God had a plan for my life. Because see, I never look like those Vogue magazine hotties. You know, why God ever thought this nose fit on this face, I'll never know, but he did. And you know, some things you get in fights in school about, you know, kids can be mean. You know, don't be mean girls, be sweet girls. I can tell those are some sweet girls right there. <laughs> and you know, because really, who's our role model while we're growing up? Oh, Miss Barbie, mm-hmm. Miss 36, 24, 36, with her long blonde hair and her blue eyes and her perky little nose. And she never said anything wrong because she couldn't talk. <laughs> yeah. But Miss Barbie sends a very powerful message to little girls that if you are not blonde and beautiful, then you are insignificant and unpopular and you're never gonna make it in this world. But you know what? That is a lie from the pit of hell. We are created in the image and the likeness of God. He fashioned you just the way he wanted you. Nose and all, hump in the nose and all. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, so we, we just have to get to understand that God created us who we are and learn to fall in love with who you are. Because a list of attitudes and behaviors rooted in a false view of beauty is forever long. It is envy, comparison, competitiveness, jealousy, promiscuity, I mean, uh, you know, eating disorders, um, addictions of all kinds, immodest dress, flirtatious behavior, and on and on. And see, the list just goes and goes and goes. Because women don't know who we are. We do not understand that we are fierce warriors, that we have the word of God. And if we will look into the word of God, we will find out who we really are. See, we had our mentoring program that came out of Diana Hagee's book called The King's Daughter. (laughs) And I told my ladies at the church, I said, you know, this is going to be 12 weeks. It's going to be small groups. You're going to have to do homework. And I said, it'll change your life if you will actually go through the course of these 12 weeks and we'll have this big deal graduation and all this stuff. And I thought maybe 50 ladies would sign up. 250 ladies signed up for this event. And so, I mean, I made them, I made them come every time. I made them do their homework. We had small groups where you had to bear your soul in some cases. Women told things they had never shared with anybody, but because they were in a safe place they began to bear their soul. And so, you know, out of this, we had, we had the big graduation and their husbands came and got born again. It was all out of the book of Esther because we have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this, right, ladies? I mean, we have been called by God to do something for God that only you can do. And so out of that came my mentoring program, and I said, you know what? I said, uh, we're just going to take these people. They're coming in off the streets. We are living in the last days. They're coming in off the streets. I mean, we saw them walking in the streets in, in uh, Las Vegas, you know, with little, and, you know, and, you know, and I said, because they're coming in with, you know, purple mohawks and enough rings in their face to hang a shower curtain. <laughs> and so I said, we're just going to take them in and love them. Love them, and we'll give them plenty of time for the Holy Ghost to deal with them. Yeah, right? 
And, 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 you know, after a while, I may, you know, have to go to him and say, honey, I encourage you to wear your skin-tight miniskirt at home for your husband. Just don't wear it to church for mine, okay? <laughs> but we love you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> God has given me a platform, and I'm going to use it. So, yeah. And so we just love them, love them. And, and I, I mean, our church has just grown because of these women that are coming in. And so, uh, I don't know how I got off on that. Okay, so um, <laughs> don't shout me down just because I'm preaching good. Okay, so, um, but you know, I mean, we can be modest and contemporary all at the same time, right? Okay, so got that behind us. So by the time I was 31 years old, I was a depressed, suicidal, drug addict, and an alcoholic. I was angry at everybody. I had pushed everybody out of my life. And I was actually driving home from work one day, which was a miracle. I still had a job, but my uh, boss was an alcoholic. So, you know, it kind of worked out. But, um, and so I was driving home from work one day and I passed this church every day for five years. Gary Wood Assembly of God out in Hueytown, Alabama. And I, I had pushed everybody out of my life and I was driving home thinking about taking my life And I looked over and there was this huge camp meeting sign out front. Camp meeting. What in the world does camp meeting mean? You know, I never knew about camp meeting at Nana's church. We didn't know any Pentecostal lingo at Nana's church. And so, you know, I thought camp meeting, it must mean summer camp or something like that. And so I went home and took a nap. And when I woke up, I knew I had to be at that church. I had to be there. And I got in my car and I drove down there and I sat in the parking lot and I watched all these people going in in suits and ties and dresses and Bibles. And I thought, you know what? This is just another place that I don't belong. I could be in a room full of people and I felt like I never fit in anywhere. And I was about to crank my car and drive away and it was like a hand pushed me out of my car. And I walked up the steps to that church. I didn't want to go to church on Tuesday night. Who goes to church on Tuesday night? You know, same people come to church on Friday night. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I, I just thought, mm, yeah. And so, crazy wild people. And so I, you know, I walked up the steps to the church. I didn't want to go to church. I wanted to go have a drink. My knees were shaking. I was thinking, what am I doing? But yet I was compelled to go up the steps to that church. And there was a little lady standing at the door and she uh, had a little bulletin in her hand. And I'm telling you, if you are a greeter in your church, God has divine appointments set up for you. He has divine, you keep your spiritual antennas up. And so I came through the door and she said, honey, are you by yourself? And here I am, my little skin tight blue jeans and my low cut blouse. And I, you know, I was, I didn't want to go to church that night, but here I was walking up the steps and she says, are you by yourself? And I said, yes, ma'am. I said, I don't know the first thing about an Assembly of God church. I just know that when I woke up, I had to be here. And she went, well, praise the Lord. And I went, oh no, I've heard about people like you. <laughs> I think we had an Avon lady like that one time. And so... I said, I, you know, she says, come on, honey, you can come and sit with me. And before I knew it, I was trapped in her web. <laughs> and so I am sitting with her, and all of a sudden, 
sudden, here she comes, and here comes, you know, here comes the band and the choir, and they're all jumping up and down, hooting and rooting and shouting, and the Spirit of God is falling just like it did right here tonight. And I was looking at those people, and I thought, drums and guitars in the church? That is sacrilege. I mean, you know, at Nana's church, the lady came out in the long black robe, and she sat down at the pipe organ like Phantom of the Opera. (laughs) And the pastor would come out in his long black robe and say, God is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence. Well, that scared the liver out of a fourth grader. Whoever wanted to get to know that kind of God. I mean, he was dark and mysterious and thanks, but no thanks. And so I'm thinking, I'm watching these people hanging from the chandeliers thinking, I kind of like this place. It kind of looks familiar. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And so, so I, I'm, I'm just, you know, enamored. And, and all of a sudden, here comes Pastor Loper with probably one of the most eloquent speakers you'll ever hear in your life. And it was Dr. Mark Rutland. And he's actually been the president of Southeastern University and the president of Oral Roberts University. But he was a missionary at the time. And he came out and he shared a simple message on the love of God. And he looked across the audience that night. And he said, you could be here tonight and you wish you had never even been born. And I thought, that's me. Every day that I wake up and look in the mirror, I hate myself that much more. Every time, every time I have to face another sunrise, I think, why do I have to face another day? He said, you could be here and you wish you had never even been born. I had tried to kill myself since I was 10 years old. I had a spirit of suicide that told me nobody loves you. Nobody cares about you. It wouldn't even matter if you were to take your own life. I had tried drug overdoses. I had tried running my car off a bridge. I had tried loading a 38 pistol. And I got so drunk that I passed out. And he said, you could be here and you wish you'd never even been born. But I'm here to tell you, you can be born again. You can start your life over. It doesn't matter what you did last night. He said, you can be washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And you can stand before a holy God as if you had never even sinned and I had tears streaming down my face and I was thinking to myself how could I have been raised in church my whole life and I've never even heard this he said God is a God of new beginnings and he said if you want to pray a simple prayer like I prayed I want you to bow your heads and when he said bow your heads he was about to give the altar call and my legs jumped up. I ran to the front. I had never seen an altar call in my life. And I knelt down and I said, God, if this is real, I want it. I want a change. I want a new beginning. I want to start my life over. But I don't even have anything to offer you but a broken heart. And he said, Suzanne, that's all I want. All I want is your heart. And that night, On September 14th, 1993, I became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Never lose the wonder of your salvation. You have a story to tell, and God will put people in your path to hear your story. I went to work the next morning, and I said, I got what they call born again. I said, you've got to come to this church. And they're like, we don't want to go to church. And I'm like, I know, but it's not like church. It's like God is there, you know? (laughs) 
And so, <laughs> so my friends started coming to church and some of them got born again. And I mean, it was just crazy. We went, I got saved on a Tuesday night and then we went Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, you know, it's camp meeting. <laughs> That's what you do. You go every night. And so I, we were there on a Friday night and there was like this fiery evangelist there. And when he got done preaching, he said, he said, if you want everything God's got for you, I want you to come to the front. And I thought, well, you know, I want everything God's got for me, but I had no idea what I was in for. <laughs> so I came to the front with the whole tribe of Israel. I mean, we are packed in like sardines. And I was like four rows deep in people. And here he comes. He's coming down the aisle and he is, and I'm thinking he is pushing those little ladies down in the floor. What is going on? And so he got in front of me. And I felt the fire of God coming off the man. I mean, I just wanted to touch the fire. I didn't know anything about the anointing. I just knew I wanted to touch the fire. And he got in front of me and he, our eyes locked and he saw the hunger in my eyes. And he told my friend Karen, he said, get behind her and push. And so she pushed me up to where my fingertips touched his. And it was like 10,000 volts of electricity started going down my arm. And I looked at Karen with my eyes this big and she went, go with it. <laughs> and so I did. I hit the floor like a rock as God washed years of depression off of me, filled me with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Woo! When I sat up, in another language and my throat was on fire. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I was the first person I ever heard speaking tongues. <laughs> does God have a sense of humor or what? Yes, he does. See, that's when I came to realize that God really never meant for us to go through life sober. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. Ephesians 5.18 says, do not be drunk with wine, where is an excess? <laughs> you drink the wine of the world, and you'll do things you wish you had never done. You will say things you wish you had never said, and you'll go places. Let me just tell you, alcohol will never leave you as it found you. It will always lead you into excess. It has an assignment to destroy your life. And so, you know, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but you know what? Be filled with the Holy Ghost. Be filled. Be filled so you can drink and drink. And all it does is make more capacity for more of God. Amen. And you never have a hangover. Woo! <laughs> That's something to shout about right there. <laughs> yes. So choose to live in today. Your past is history. Your future is a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. <laughs> don't you love that? Don't you love that? Oh my goodness. Yep. Okay. That is tweetable. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So life lesson number two. Choose to renew your mind. Choose to renew your mind. I don't even know what time it is. I don't know what time we're supposed to stop. Anywho, um, Choose to renew your mind. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be drunk with, no, it does not. It says, <laughs> what does it say? It says, <laughs> do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. Listen, there is a perfect will of God for your life. 
I don't want to just be in the good. I don't want to just be acceptable to him. I want to be smack dab in the perfect will of God all the days of my life. Don't you? I do. I, I just want to be in his perfect will. And so I thank God for the little white-haired ladies of the church. <laughs> oh, honey, they took me on as a mission. <laughs> you believe it? I came in with big hair, red lips, and mini skirts up to here. And they said, here, honey, here's you a Bible. Why don't you start reading it tonight? <laughs> and I said, okay, you know, remain teachable all the days of your life. We can all learn something no matter how old we get, right? Yeah. And so my little, my little pioneers of faith, oh, honey, I was born in the fires of camp meeting and I refuse to live in the ashes. I am going to live in the fire of God. And they said, here, honey, why don't you start reading in, in Matthew? So I went home and I opened the Bible and I said, Matthew, Matthew, where's Matthew? Matthew, and then I read Mark and Luke and John. And I thought, you know, the Bible's just the same stories over and over again. Like, where is Noah? Where... Where is Moses? I had heard children's stories my whole life, but I knew nothing about the Word of God. I didn't know anything. My little pioneers of faith, my best friend, Miss Betty, just turned 87 years old. We take her, Ron and I take her to Gatlinburg with my mom. She's 91. And, and we push them up in the van and we take them. But I, I'm just telling you, I thank God. They taught me how to plead the blood of Jesus. They taught me how to pray through until you get the victory. Not some mamby-pamby prayer where if we don't get what we want in five minutes and we fold our arms and walk off and say, God has not been faithful. They taught me to pray through until you get the victory and then stick with it until you see it come to pass. And so, you know, they taught me that the Word of God generates life, and it creates faith, and it heals hurts, and it builds character, and it causes miracles to happen, and it scares the daylights out of the devil. Jesus taught us how to fight the devil with it is written. If you're ever going to be a fierce warrior, you better learn how to fight the devil with it is written, and we're going to talk about that tomorrow, and you do not want to miss it. It'll change your life. You'll miss half your life if you miss tomorrow. <laughs> My little pioneers of faith, I, you know, they believed in me when I didn't even believe in myself. They loved me when I didn't even love myself. They would call me and say, you're going to make it. I know you. God told me you had a bad day, and, but you're going to make it. You stick with the word. And you will be an overcomer. You're an overcomer. <laughs> the word of God. David did, I mean, yeah, David. David didn't say in Psalm 119, thy word have I highlighted with a yellow pen. Oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> he said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. See, the word of God will keep you out of trouble. Yes, it will. And so my little pioneers of faith, they taught me so much. And so I just thought, you know, okay, so Lord, um, now that I am saved and filled with the Holy Ghost and you put some awesome mentors in my life, 
surely there is a husband on the horizon. Because <laughs> I'm 31 and we are burning daylight. <laughs> and you know what the Lord said? He said, Suzanne, you are nowhere near ready for a husband. He said, first of all, you do not even know how to keep your big mouth shut. <laughs> He's still working on that one. You believe it? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, you know, so he told me, he says, and when I say God told me, I don't mean I heard an audible voice. I just meant, you know, like feathers, feathers. I meant, I meant that when he spoke to me, you know, it, it, when you walk with him, even from the time you're a baby Christian, you will hear the voice of the Lord. It's an inward witness. It's just like a prompting or a knowing. And if you'll keep a journal and you'll read the word every day and you'll pray in the spirit every day, God will be able to speak to you and you're going to go, that is so God. And you may want to say, I don't really want to do that. But, you know, <laughs> but you know it's God. It's that inward witness. You live out of right here. If you're trying to make decisions from here, you are going to the wrong room. You got to live from here, baby. This is where, this is your inmost being, your heart, your, your, uh, you know, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, I just thought, he said, Suzanne, you need to cultivate the fruit of the spirit in your life. You need love and joy and peace. I had no peace. I had lived in the world for 31 years as a drug addict and an alcoholic, and you can fill in the blanks. I had no peace in my life. Love and peace and joy and patience and kindness. I had no kindness. I could shred you with my words. And the, the power of life and death is in the tongue. You can speak life or death over your marriage, life or death over your children, life or death over your pastors. Life or death is in the power of the tongue. You choose what you speak. And so I, I had self-control is a fruit of the spirit. I had no self-control. I was crazy wild. And so I needed, I needed those, those fruit of the spirit in my life. And anytime that you need those things, peace, it's right here. You just pull out of the well that's already on the inside of you. But I had to learn to cultivate that. Patience. My husband is a sanguine personality. <laughs> I am not a morning person. <laughs> and he is. And so God had to get me, you know, prepared for that. <laughs> and so, so I started my date night with the Holy Ghost. Uh-huh. Because you know what? For three years, I spent my Saturday nights with the Lord. Three years, my date night with the Holy Ghost. Because you know what? God the Father is in heaven. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. But the Holy Ghost has been sent here to the earth to lead us and guide us and teach us and show us things to come. I don't know about you, but I want to know things to come. Don't you? Yeah. We don't have to dial 1-800, you know, Sister Psychic Network to get the plan of God for our lives. He says, if you'll call me, I will show you great and mighty things that you know not of. Yes, call me. Yeah, some of y'all are too young for that. But um, so I, I started my date night. And every Saturday night for three years, 
I would come up the stairs. I'd be driving home from work. Sometimes my friends would call and say, Suzanne, we're going to a movie tonight, or we're going to have chili, or we're going to do something, and you got to come. And I was like, oh, no, I can't. I have a date. You have a date? Oh, yes, I do. It is date night with the Holy Ghost. And they're like, oh, my lands, whatever. And so... You know, and so I would get off work and I'd drive home and I'd run up the stairs and open the door and go, hi, honey, I'm home. <laughs> and after about three months of doing that, I opened the door and he was there waiting on me. He's real. He's real and he loves you with an everlasting love and he constantly calls you to himself. And he says, my sheep know my voice, and a stranger they will not follow. Listen, ladies, there's a lot of voices clamoring for your attention out there. We better know the voice of our shepherd in these last days. The Bible says, if possible, even the elect will fall away from the faith in the last days. That frightens me. I want to walk so close to him. That when he just barely whispers my name, it sounds like he is screaming through a megaphone. I want to be that close to him. And so I started my date night with the Holy Ghost. And it was, and it was different, you know. Dates are different when you who were dating your husband and that. You know, I mean, sometimes I, would, sometimes I would just put on worship music and I would dance around the house like a ballerina. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I would sit and read the word for hours. Sometimes I would pray in the spirit for hours. Because, you know, 1 Corinthians 14, 2 says, He that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto man but unto God. Howbeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries. There are divine secrets that are hidden for you that you will never access except going through the door of speaking in other tongues. It is the doorway to the supernatural power of God in your life. And so... I, I, I just, you know, it was always, I learned kind of, sort of how to cook, but not really. <laughs> so I would learn how to cook chicken, and I would set a table, you know, and my cat would eat the Lord's portion. <laughs> but, you know, and so, you know, I would, I, I just, I started my date night, and one night as I was reading the word, it was like Proverbs 31, 23 leapt off the page, and it said, her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. And he said, Suzanne, if you'll wait on me, I'll bring you a husband that'll see you as the treasure that I see you as. And you'll come alongside him and you'll help him fulfill his destiny. But you have to wait. And I'm like, oh man, I don't wanna wait. I mean, I'm 31, hello, in case you didn't know, I have a clock ticking, you know. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, and so he, he, he says, you, you just got to wait on me. I said, but all my friends are married. My sister's been married. <laughs> In case we're taping this. <laughs> yeah, she's, um, she's saved now and so is her husband. And if you've been married three times, let it be your last time, okay? Yeah, so, so I thought she's going to get them all if we don't get the show on the road. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I was like, Lord, I really, I really, you know, he said, Suzanne, you have to wait. What do you do when the Lord says wait? What do you say? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What do you say when the commander in chief says wait? <laughs> yes, sir. I'll wait. 
And so I, I, you know, I was like, but you're going to so have to help me. <laughs> 31. Okay. And so, so I waited for three years in my church and my awesome little mentors and my women of God. And, um, and, and so after three years, God called me to go to Bible college where I went out to Rama Bridal Training Center. <laughs> and I thought, surely I will meet my husband there and get my MRS degree. <laughs> yeah. And so... Yeah, y'all are quick. And so, so I went to Rama, and the Lord said, I do not want you to date. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And so I said, okay, so I, I, I stayed focused. <laughs> Missions, God had put nations in my heart. And so um, actually the Philippines was the first mission trip I ever went on. Oh, you're gonna love the Philippines. Oh, those people are the most precious people in the whole wide world. And so um, I was like, oh, I want to go, honey. Can I sign up for your mission trip? Okay. So anyway, uh, don't want to get sidetracked. So I, I went up there, and I, I went to Bible college, and, and then God called me to go to India. And I said, I'm sorry. Are you sure you did not mean Indiana? <laughs> I mean, India is so far away. <laughs> and he said, Suzanne, go to India. <laughs> God will speak your lingo. <laughs> and I said, but I thought we went two by two, you know. And, uh, and he said, yeah, me and you, we're two. <laughs> so go. So what do you say when the Lord says, go to India? Yes, sir. Yes, sir, I'll go. Which brings me to life lesson number three. Choose to obey God. Choose to obey God. Isaiah 119 says, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. And so I packed my suitcase and I, I got off of the airplane in India. And honestly, it was the best of times and the worst of times. I, uh, in the natural, it is 120 degrees by seven o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I lived in the village, in the village, where we had no air conditioning. And so, you know, I mean, it was just hot and stinky and everybody stinks. And so um, I, I was just, you know, the rats were about the size of that pulpit right there. And I was sleeping with a boot in my bed and I would drop it on the floor in the morning so the rats would go scurrying out at five o'clock in the morning. And, um, but at the same time, I was working with the Teen Challenge Center, and we were working with the Underground Church and Project Rescue, and we were rescuing girls out of the brothels of India. Because in India, in some of the darker places in the village, like where I lived, they believe that if a girl child is born first, she brings a curse on the family. If a boy child is born first, he brings a blessing of the 300 million gods that they worship. And uh, the girl, she brings a curse on the family. And many times when they see that it is a girl and she is born, uh, they will put a heavy cloth over her face and suffocate her and send her down the river. If she lives to be as old as nine years old, and I don't mean all places in India by any means. I fell in love with India eventually. <laughs> but many times because they cannot pay her dowry 
And there is a caste system. And they don't believe that girls have any value. They will sell their daughters for as little as $4 into slave prostitution, where she will be beaten and burned and raped into submission and put behind a curtain on a floor and forced to have as many as 30 relationships a day. A nine-year-old baby. Nine. I have a nine-year-old granddaughter, and I, I cannot, I cannot fathom. And so by the time she's 16 years old, she is used up, she is abused, she is beaten, she is tormented with demons, and, and she is sick, and she has no value to a brothel owner because she is now too old. And so for $200, we would work with the underground church, and we would go in and pay her debt to a brothel owner. She is a slave. She makes no money. She is a slave. And so we pay her debt and we bring her out into New Hope, into our home and tell her, baby, I am so sorry for the things that have happened to you. But let me just tell you that God loves you and that he has a plan for your life. And she would say, no, 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 I will never be anything. I will never be married. I will never have a life. And I would stand at the gate and watch some of my girls go back to prostitution and it would break my heart. Because I knew they were hearing those voices that said, you are worthless, you are nothing. You might as well kill yourself. And after my first year, I was done. I did not want to stay there anymore. I had fulfilled my purpose there. And Sister Usha, the national director, and I, you know, we had worked while the missionaries who had started the home had come back to California here. And, um, and so I, I was like, oh, my goodness. I said, I'm ready to go back. I fulfilled my, my one-year term, and I'm ready to go back to the States. And they called me and said, Suzanne, we need you to stay one more year. <laughs> I'm like, I am so sorry. I cannot stay one more year. That is virtually impossible. And they said, Suzanne, we need to stay in the States one more year. We want to do a Life for the Lost tour. We want to. And I said, Kelly, I just cannot stay another year. I just, I'm exhausted emotionally, physically, spiritually. I am spent. I have 15 girls. And I, I called my mom one time and said, you remember that time you said, I hope you have 10 girls just like you. I said, I have 15 demon-possessed girls that I don't know what to do with. And she said, I'll pray about it. <laughs> yeah. I said, I said, break the curse. <laughs> and Kelly said, Suzanne, will you, will you at least pray about staying one more year. And I was like, no, I really, you know. So I said, okay, okay, I will stay. I will, no, I'll pray. <laughs> and so I said, I'm going to the mountains of India uh, to stay in somebody's house while they're out on a um, children's ministry trip. And I said, I will, I will fast and pray and I'll, I'll seek the Lord on that. And so I did. <laughs> and the Lord said, one more year. And I said, but Lord, India is on your timetable. It's like a day is as a thousand years. <laughs> and he said, Suzanne, I want you to stay one more year. What do you say when the Lord says, stay one more year? Yes, sir. Yes, sir, yes, sir I'll stay. 
one more year. Choose to obey God. I would tell you it doesn't cost you anything, but really it costs you everything. But he's worth it. He's worth it all. He paid it all so that we could be free. How can we not do what he asks us to do? So I said, yes, sir, I'll stay one more year. I got on the Shatabdi Express from the border of Nepal, and I came down on the train uh, into New Delhi where Sister Usha was there. She's the national director, and she was there to pick me up, but she couldn't find me because monsoon season had started. And so I, I am in the train station with, like, literally hundreds of men, possibly a 1,000 men in the train station, which is not a safe place to be at night by yourself. And so Usha was looking for me, but she couldn't find me. And so it got to be 9 o'clock and then 10 o'clock and then 11 o'clock. And so around midnight, I thought, I cannot spend the night here. This is not safe because men are pulling on your bags and trying to get you. And, and so I, I looked at a taxi driver because I had taken taxis before, but never at night. But I knew I couldn't stay there. And I said, you know my village, Faridabad? And he said, I do. And so I said, okay. So I got in the van into the taxi with this man. And we took off into the dark night of India. And about 15 minutes into the ride, I realized he was not taking me to my village. And fear began to suffocate me. And I, 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 I had tears streaming down my face. And I reached up and I tapped him on the back and I said, Baya, which means brother, Faridabad, which was my village. And he shook his head. And about that time, he pulled into an abandoned service station and blew the horn. And four men came out and began to look in the van at my luggage and, the, and you know, at the van. And they saw I was an American. And probably the most demon-possessed man I've ever seen in my life looked at that taxi driver and said, Kitna Pesa, ye American, which means how much money do you want for her? He was about to sell me into the underground sex trafficking industry, and nobody would have, it would have been a prize to have had an American. Nobody would have ever known where to even look for me. And I had tears streaming down my face, but my little pioneers of faith had taught me how to plead the blood. They taught me how to plead the blood, and I just began to whisper under my breath, Father, I just plead the blood. I plead the blood. And the Holy Ghost on the inside of me said, Speak it out. And I began to scream at the top of my lungs, Father, in the name of Jesus, I plead the blood of Jesus over my life and over this van. You said in Psalm 91, you've given your angels charge over me to keep me in all of my ways. And when I said that, those four men were slammed up against that building. Their eyes were looking into heaven as I believe God showed them the angels of God that are encamped around about us. Woo! Hallelujah! That little taxi driver jumped in and we took off and shutarabakasata. I prayed in the Holy Ghost all the way to my door where he dropped me out and I never saw him again. Woo! Yes, amen. Our God is faithful, I tell you. <laughs> He's faithful. So Sister Usha and I, we went on a 21-day fast because what do you do when you don't know what to do? You fast and pray. <laughs> and so we, I know this thing is all like, Whoa. so um, I'm trying to keep it on me. I'm Slinging. <laughs> okay, so um, so we went on a 21-day fast, and we said, Lord, we really need, we need miracles. We need miracles for our girls. We need a curriculum for our girls. We are trying to teach them the holy word of God, and they need flannel graphs, you know? I mean, they need children's books and Bibles and stuff, and they never sat in a classroom in their life. 
And you definitely did not want to take them to church and, and them sing a song about the blood. <laughs> the blood brings manifestations of the devil, hates the blood. And so, you know, my pastor was not always excited to have us in church. <laughs> and so we needed miracle deliverance for my girls. And while we were fasting and praying, the Lord said, Suzanne, the year 2000 will be your year of miracles. And I said, okay. And I mean, we began to see miracles. We got a miracle curriculum from ICI, which is now Global University. And I mean, from, from like kindergarten through 12th grade. And we began to teach those girls the word of God. And I mean, they would get it. They, we would... I, we would fast and pray when we would get a new girl in. And I mean, God would break the chains of bondage off of her. She would get born again. She would get filled with the Holy Ghost. I mean, it was, some of them are in Nepal preaching the gospel right now. Some of them are with YWAM. Some of them are on staff with Sister Usha right now. And I mean, they just began to grow, supernaturally grow in the things of God. As a matter of fact, when Sister Kelly got back to India, she said, Suzanne, these girls are speaking Hindi with a southern accent. Because <laughs> I've been helping them with their homework. Namaste. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, we just really began to see miracles. So I signed up for my third year because, you know, these are my girls. This is my home. I am in the flow. I could do this forever. And so I had signed up, and um, Sister, um, Sister Kelly, when I, they were back, she and Pastor Rich were back from California, and, and, um, and so I, I was already in, and, and um, they called in October of my year of miracles and said, Suzanne, your mom has had a severe heart attack. She's in intensive care, and if you want to see her, you need to come now. And so I called Brother David Grant, and I said, can I, can I go home and see my mom? I said, uh, she's had a heart attack. And he goes, sure, it's the end of October. Why don't you stay for Christmas and come back the 1st of January? And I said, okay. So I booked my ticket, and I was packing my suitcase. And, and Sister Kelly, she came and she sat on the end of my bed. And she said, Suzanne, you remember when we asked you to stay one more year? <laughs> and I said, how could I forget? <laughs> yeah. She said, we were actually in Springfield, Missouri with 500 missionary couples, and we were listening to this pastor from somewhere in Alabama give his testimony. She said, I've held this in my heart for a year. And she said, uh, I'm telling you, she said, his name is Pastor Ron Cox. And she said, we laughed and we cried. She said, the man is just a nut. <laughs> and she said... He's pastored the same church in Alabama for 27 years. And she said in the first five years that he was there, his wife became very ill with a debilitating neurological disease. But they didn't know what was wrong with her. And so for the first five years, I mean, that they were at the church, she said she did crazy things like jump out of the car when they would be going down the road. She would... Um, you know, she would just do crazy things. And they, he's trying to pastor this church. And he had a six-month-old baby girl and five-year-old girl. And, you know, and his wife is, you know, doing crazy things. And he's trying to pastor the church. And that's when the pastor was the whole enchilada. He was the, the pastor, the youth pastor, the worship leader, you know. And Glinda had tried to 
kill herself. She tried to take 20 Librium tablets and he would have to go have her stomach pumped and you know, all these things were happening and then he'd run up and the stairs and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. While he's crying and crying and crying. And after five years, they diagnosed her with Huntington's chorea, which is a long-term illness, which is the fluid begins to dry up in your brain. And they said, you're so far advanced now that within six months, your body will twist into a fetal position, and then you'll be in a wheelchair, and then you'll be in a nursing home when, without a miracle. It's a long time. And so for the first 15 years, he took care of her in the home. He cut up every bite of food she ate. He fixed her hair. He did her makeup. He'd roll her up in front of the pulpit, and he'd preach the gospel. And he'd look at her, and he'd say, baby, we're going to make it because God is faithful. He would lay hands on the sick, and they would recover and get up and walk out the door. And she said, Suzanne, he did that for the first 15 years. And then her vital organs began to shut down, and he had to put her in a nursing home, which was right down the street from the church, which was right down the street from the house. And he would go there every morning, and he would kneel down by her bed. And he would say, honey, if you can hear me, I want you to know that by the grace of God, I will be faithful to you one more day. But I'll have to come back tomorrow and tell you the same thing. And she said, Suzanne, he did that for another nine years, day after day after day after month after month after year after year, this 40-year-old beautiful woman in a nursing home. And here's a handsome preacher man. The daughters grew up, went off to Southeastern and met their incredible pastor husbands. Ron was called the singing preacher at the nursing home. Glenda loved Elvis. <laughs> he didn't even know if she could hear him. But he would go and he'd sing love songs to her every day. And on Sundays, he would leave the church at Sunday night service, and he would go and lay down on this little blue mat on the floor beside her. And they would come and wake him up and say, Pastor, you probably need to go home. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. Why don't you go home and get some rest? Meanwhile, the church grew to nearly 2,000 in the small city. And she said, Suzanne, when Glenda passed away, she weighed 47 pounds. And she said, when you go home to Alabama, she said, I want you to go find Pastor Ron Cox and I want you to meet him because I believe one day this man is going to be your husband. And I looked at her and said, shut up. <laughs> if the man has pastored the same church for 27 years, like how old is this man? <laughs> and she said, you are no spring chicken sitting on 40. <laughs> right? And so I said, well, touche. I said, but I am not going, looking for some pastor in Alabama. I am going home to see my mom, and then I'm coming back to India. This is my home. These are my girls. And she said, well, I'm just saying. I said, well, I'm just saying. <laughs> if Pastor Ron Cox, you know, if, if God wants me to meet him, then he's just going to have to set up a divine appointment. <laughs> yeah. 
And so I get off the plane in October of my year of miracles, and, um, and my mom greets me at the airport. I mean, she says, I have the heart of a 16-year-old. God, God has given me a new heart. And I said, I get to spend Christmas with you. Woo! And so my mom and I reunited, and God just said, God had reconciled so many things. I broke my mother's heart. But God reconciled some things between us down through the days. Don't you give up on your prodigal. <laughs> the prodigals are coming home in the last days. And so I, um, you know, I said, well, I've got a ticket to go back to India. I've just got to figure out how I'm going to pay for it. So I called my pastor and, I, you know, thank the Lord for missions pastors. And I said, Pastor Loper, can I come in and see you? And he said, sure. He, I said, so I went into his office, and we, I was, you know, three days after being off the airplane. And I'm sitting in his office, and I'm telling him we're catching up on what God's doing in India and stuff and, and, and what's going on in the church. And he says, uh, all of a sudden, Dolores, the secretary, comes in instead of beeping him on the telephone. And she says, Pastor Loper, Pastor Ron Cox is on the telephone. And I'm like, Ron Cox, <laughs> that's that man's name. That thing wasn't on the back burner. That thing was on fire. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, you know, my pastor doesn't know anything about all this. And so um, he's sitting there talking. He says, oh, Ron, he said, I can't play golf with you today. You know, real spiritual stuff. <laughs> he said, I can't play golf with you today. I've got appointments backed out the door. And, and he looks at me and he goes, but I am sitting here with a little missionary from India. She got born again in my church. She's never been married. She'd probably love to play golf with you today. Here, why don't you talk to her on the telephone? And I'm going, no, I don't want to talk to him. And now Ron is on the other end. I can hear him screaming, John, no, no. You know, he's thinking missionary from India, never been married, must be looking like Mother Teresa. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Corey Ten Boom, you know, with the bun on the back of that. And so I, I am like, uh, you know, so pastor just hands me the phone. And so I'm like, hey. So we talk as fast as we can and get off the phone as fast as we can. And, and my pastor tells me, he says, you know what? He said, Ron and Glenda were some of our best friends in Bible college. He's been across town from you your whole life. And he said, you know what? Thursday is our sectional council. And he said, all the missionaries have to be here. All the pastors will be here. Maybe we can have lunch afterwards. And I'm like, I don't know about that. And so... So I, I came in to the Continental Breakfast that Thursday morning, and I asked one of my women's ministry ladies, I said, is Pastor Ron Cox in the house? And she said, well, yeah, he's sitting over there with Pastor Loper. And I thought, well, now's my chance to spy out the land. <laughs> so I turned around, and I looked at him, and I turned around, and I looked again, and I said, glory to God, the man is so fine. to go with this one. Amen. <laughs> and so we actually met that day in the foyer, but I'm so shy and insecure <laughs> that I took off. And so one of his friends called my, my mother's house the next morning and said, my friend Ron met you yesterday, and we were wondering if you would have lunch with us today. And I said, well, I'm in blue jeans, and I'm doing a master's commission meeting. And I said, I don't think I can. He goes, oh, we will all wear blue jeans and see you at 12 o'clock. He said, my wife will be there. Don't you worry about it. And so, so I went, you know, and um, Ron began to tell me about being on this servant leadership team 
that meets once a month at the South Trust building with pastors and businessmen from all over the city of Birmingham. And they pray that God would break down racial barriers and denominational barriers and make our city a light on the hill. And when he said that, it was like the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, Suzanne, there's your Proverbs 31, 23 man. He's respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. He said, Suzanne, that man's going to be your husband. And all the fears and the insecurities of my past came flooding in. And I thought, oh, but God, his church family loves him. I mean, his daughters, how would his daughters ever accept me? Look at who I was and what I did. And it was like the Holy Spirit just swept that out of my mind. And he said, listen, this is not about your works. This is about my grace. And that man is going to be your husband. And I said, well, okay, but who's going to tell him? <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm not going to tell him I am a nonprofit organization. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Yeah. And so, so I, um, you know, so I, I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> what am I going to do? He got my phone number that day and he would call me and we would talk for three hours at a time. I mean, he was traveling in the Honduras and he would call me and we would talk and talk and talk. And one of his, one of his uh, friends, Pastor Dan, actually the one that called and, and asked me to go to lunch with him that day, called him one day and said, Ron, you don't ever call me anymore. And he goes, when a man loves a woman. <laughs> and so in November of my year of miracles, I met my beautiful girls. I met my Tiffany and Stacy, and I fell in love with them. They went through a hard time. 24 and a half years is a long time to go through a storm. Anybody can go through a storm for a year or two years or three years or when it turns into five years and 10 years and 15 and 25 years is a long time to go through a storm. My Tiffany never heard the articulate voice of her mother. Somebody asked her one time, how can you not be angry at God? You never saw your mom get healed, but yet you saw your dad lay hands on the sick and they recovered. How can you not be angry at God? She said, how could I be angry at God? She said, listen, God is the only thing that kept us from losing our sanity when we went through a storm that lasted 24 and a half years. She said, I, God has been nothing but good and faithful and true to us. God has done nothing but sustain us through a storm. When we didn't know what else to cling to, he was the rock. She said, I don't know why my mother never got healed, but what I do know is that he was wounded for her transgressions according to Isaiah 53. He was bruised for her iniquities. The chastisement of her peace was upon him and with his stripes she was healed. It's really important that my Tiffany would say that because three years ago, <laughs> this beautiful youth pastor's wife sings like an angel on the praise team. Three beautiful children, they called us to their house and said, Daddy, I've been diagnosed with Huntington's disease. 
what do you do when you get that report? Are you going to hang your harp on the willow tree and refuse to sing the song of the Lord? Israel, when they were taken into captivity, the Babylonians would taunt them and say, let's hear you sing the song of the Lord in this strange land. And they hung their harps on the willow tree and they refused to sing the song of the Lord. Not my Tiffany. She's beautiful. You know what? She's already starting to twist into a fetal position. She sits in a chair on the platform and she lifts her hand to the living God because she knows that no weapon formed against her shall prosper. She knows that God is faithful and somehow, some way, God is going to change that DNA and turn this thing around because he is faithful. And it will not touch my grandchildren in the mighty name of Jesus. So I fell in love with my girls. <laughs> and, he, and he met my mom and she said, he's perfect for you. If, if I could have Pastor Kevin just come to the keyboard, we're gonna um, wrap this thing up. <laughs> so Ron called me. Um, and from New York City, in my year of miracles, it got to be December, I had my ticket to go back to India in January. And he called me and he said, Suzanne, I'm up here in New York City. Have you ever seen the Christmas lights in New York City? And I said, New York City? <laughs> no. <laughs> I have never seen the Christmas. I said, what are you doing in New York City? And he said, I'm up here with my friend and my mentor, Pastor David Wilkerson, that prophet of God. He would never call himself a prophet. He said, I'm a watchman on the wall of America. And he's in heaven now. But many years before, 20 years before, Ron had been in a repentance conference that Pastor David had one year. And he was wiped out by a dumpster, crying his heart out, thinking, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna pastor my church? How am I gonna take care of my wife? How are my girls gonna be taken care of? And Pastor David came and put his hand on his back and he said, he said, son, I don't know what you're walking through. He had a heart for broken pastors, not just broken people. He put his hand on his back and he said, I don't know what you're going through, but one thing I do know is God is faithful. He's gonna see through this. You're gonna go through deep waters, but they'll not overtake you. You're gonna go through the fire, but you'll not be burned. He said, I want you to have lunch with me today. And over the course of about 20 years, as the Spirit led, Pastor David would just call Ron and say, get somebody to take care of Glinda and the girls. Come up here and just walk the streets of New York City with me. Come to church and just soak in his presence. and Let us pray over you. And he said, who else would I go to? And he told me, he said, I'm up here with my friend. He didn't tell me this part, but he told him, he said, Pastor David, I feel like I've met somebody that I want to marry, but I'm so afraid to put my heart on the line. 
I've watched my church grow to nearly 2,000. I've watched my, I made it through the storm that lasted 24 and a half years. Watch my girls grow up and marry men of God. Men of God. But personal happiness has always seemed to elude me. He said, I don't know what to do. Pastor David said, why don't we just stretch out on the carpet and see what God has to say about it. And after 30 minutes, he sat up and he said, Ron, you marry her. God is going to give you back everything that the canker worm and the palmer worm and the locust has eaten. God is going to give you a triple harvest of every sunset that you ever missed. And if you follow me on Facebook, I post a million sunsets. <laughs> every candlelight dinner that you missed, God's going to give it back to you. He said, you bring her up here. I want to meet her. <laughs> and I said, I don't want to meet the prophet. <laughs> you know, you would get his newsletter and put it on the coffee table and circle it for three days before you opened it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. And I said, besides that, I cannot go out of town with some single pastor. I am a missionary of integrity. <laughs> no compromise, ladies. No, don't you compromise your walk with God for any man. And he said, well, what if Pastor David Wilkerson calls and asks you to speak to his home for girls that are risk rescued from prostitution and you could stay with Barbara, his secretary. And I said, well, I'll have to pray about that. Amen, send me a ticket. <laughs> so he did. So he did and I went. And Pastor David prayed the sweetest prayer over us and then he sent us on a carriage ride around Central Park. Yes, and it was sleeting and snowing and I had on my long black wool coat and my little black fur attitude hat. <laughs> and we got out and we started walking the streets of New York City. And Ron looked over at me and he said, Suzanne, didn't you tell me that the year 2000 is your year of miracles? And I said, yes, that is what God spoke to me in the beginning of the year. My year of miracles was almost up. He said, didn't you tell me that Miracle on 34th Street is your favorite Christmas movie? Oh, don't get ahead of me. <laughs> and he said, and I said, I love Miracle on 34th Street. I watch it in 120 degree weather in India. I said, it's my all time favorite. And I said, I love that movie. And he said, well, I want you to look up. And when I looked up through the sleet and the snow, we were standing in front of Macy's on 34th Street and Broadway. And he brought out this beautiful diamond ring. And he said, Suzanne, I never thought that I would see personal happiness again. He said, it is not only your year of miracles, but it's my year of miracles. He said, will you marry me? and be my wife and the first lady of Kingwood Church. And I was crying so hard, I looked like Tammy Faye with a little wet skunk on my head. <laughs> I had mascara. <laughs> but I managed to say, yes, I will marry you. And he said, I want you to come back and I want you to speak on Mission Sunday. And I want you to tell your story. And I said, oh, not my story. Let me tell somebody else's story, not my, not my story. Your church has been through the valley with you. They love you. 
He said, that's right. And then they will stand on the mountaintop with me too. He said, I want you to tell your story. And all the fears and the insecurities. And you know what? I am nothing but a trophy of God's grace. God said, tell your story. Tell your story. Allow your pain to become your platform. And God will use it to pull people out of darkness. I stood there and I told my story. And he came up beside me and he said, church, we give and we give to missions. It's the lifeblood of our church. We have built churches and Bible colleges across the world. He said, but today I'm here to tell you, God is giving us back a missionary and she's gonna be my wife and the first lady of Kingwood Church. And they stood to their feet and they clapped for 20 minutes. And the women's ministry of Kingwood Church, February 17th of the year 2001, gave us the most beautiful wedding you've ever seen in your life. I came down the center aisle wearing a white dress. My God makes all things new. He's the God of new beginnings. Amen. Isaiah 61 says, He gives beauty for ashes. He gives the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Our God is the God of new beginnings.